So what is your ultimate goal in life? What's your ultimate goal in life? Is your ultimate goal to be wealthy and famous, to be smart and successful? <laughs> you got to love Harold's amens. Or is your ultimate goal to be comfortable, to be friendly, to be level-headed, to be stable? Is your ultimate goal in life maybe to be a well-respected businessman or maybe a well-known athlete or maybe a wealthy landowner? Or is your ultimate goal in life more along the lines of just being a steady employee, being a solid family person, maybe even just being a simple homeowner? Brandon Turner is a real estate investor. He recently went to a retreat conference with a men's group. This men's group is for millionaires only. He wrote an article in Forbes magazine last week with this title, What 108 Millionaires Just Taught Me About Money, Success, and Life. He points to nine things that he learned, nine primary things, and, and number three was just really interesting to me. Number three was this, provide value with no expectations. Give with no expectations. Now really, just think about how you normally do life. <laughs> Is that how we normally think, to give with no expectations? And what does that even mean? This is how Turner described it. In nearly every conversation I had this week, I heard the same five-word phrase over and over again. How can I help you? Millionaires, how can I help you? He goes on to say this, millionaires understand that providing value to others is far more important than finding out what others can do for you. Now, does every millionaire function like this? Does, does every millionaire function in a way that he doesn't have any expectation when he gives? No, probably not. But at the very least, this notion gives a question for me and for you. What kind of millionaire do you want to be? And maybe if you don't get in those circles of cash, how about we keep it a little more simple? What kind of person do you want to be? Maybe we'll ask it in a different way. Turner goes on to say that he doesn't really want to look back on his life in 20 years and, and look and see that he was disappointed in what he saw. In fact, he said, I don't want to look back 20 years from now and go, you know what, I'm really, really glad that I watched 900 episodes of Law & Order on Netflix back in 2017. <laughs> see, he wants to look back and say, you know what, I really want to look back and see that something I did mattered. So, what is your ultimate goal in life? What if I were to tell you that right now, here this morning, you can find out what your ultimate goal in life is right now? Like, like really, what it is right now? How in the world could you do that? Well, part of it is related to our new series, I Love What? And we're going to be looking at, at Jesus teaching us what it means to get our hearts ready for life. Getting your heart ready for life. And part of that is discovering your ultimate goal. So listen to what Jesus says in Luke 12, verse 34. For where your treasure is, 
there your heart will be also. Eugene Peterson paraphrases those words from Jesus this way. The place where your treasure is, is the place you will most want to be and end up being. Let me repeat that one. The place where your treasure is, is the place you will most want to be and end up being. So, where do you most want to be? Maybe you're thinking right now, I most want to be at the beach. I most want to be at the mountains. I most want to be in the, in the corner office. I, I most want to be behind the wheel of a brand new truck. I most want to be living in a gated retirement community. Okay. Where do you want to end up being? <laughs> you may still say, I want to end up being at the beach. I want to end up being at the mountains. I want to end up being in the corner office. I want to end up being behind the wheel of a new truck. I want to end up being and living in a retired gated community. Jesus says that where you want to be and where you're going to end up being is strategically connected to what you treasure. And so your treasure defines where you want to be and where you want to end up. Therefore, your ultimate goal in life is strategically connected to what you are treasuring right now. So what are you treasuring right now? How do you find out? what your treasure is. Well, a good place to start is your spending habits. How are you spending your money? How are you spending your time? How are you spending your time at school? How are you spending your time at work? How are you spending your time away from school and away from work? How are you spending your thoughts? How are you spending your focus? How are you spending your your energy and your attitude? How are you spending these things? Or, Or maybe asked a different way, What is the primary interest of your life? What is the primary interest of your life? At your funeral, what is the the first thing that people are going to think about you? What's the first thing that's going to pop into their minds? Is it going to be your family, your job, your hobbies, your favorite team, your favorite food? None of those things are bad. In fact, the reality is when it comes to family and our job, I mean, we know that our family and our job are going to be a huge part of our spending habits, right? But there still has to be a primary interest and a primary motivation behind that. See, the the reason that you spend time and energy and money on your family and on your job and on other things important to you, there has to be something behind there. In other words, there has to be a treasure behind the treasure. There has to be an ultimate treasure behind the temporary treasure. Just a general look at the philosophy of the world would say that that the treasure, the primary interest, the primary motivation is supposed to be self-determination. Self-determination would be a a treasure that says that, that you freely choose what you will do. You freely make choices for you that that you want to make. Self-determination might ask questions like this: Does it satisfy you? Does it make you proud? Does it make you feel useful? Does it make you feel important? Does it make you feel like you helped other people? No, those aren't bad things. Those those are fine. But underneath each one of those is the word you. And at the very least, every now and then, you are going to let you down. You are not able on your own to satisfy your soul. Well, how do we know that? Well, we know that because one level on the video game is not enough. (laughs) 
You have to keep playing and keep pushing the controller buttons until your thumbs bleed. And one cup of coffee, I mean, we all know that's not enough, right? I mean, you got to have another one or five, you know, before lunch. And then you got to do the whole thing again the next day. And one piece of bacon is not enough, obviously, right? So after breakfast, you need another pound for lunch. Maybe that's just me. One order of wings for the Super Bowl, that's not enough. You need a, a baker's dozen times eight. You, you need more. One pair of leopard print boots, that's not enough. You need a seventh pair because six just isn't enough. One drink, that's not enough. You need to take the edge off again next Friday night or, or maybe tomorrow night. Let me ask you these questions. Do you scroll through social media more than an hour a day? I mean, cumulatively. Do you binge watch TV show seasons more than once a month? Do you browse the same tool department in the same store more than once a week? Now, you know who you are. Do you have things in your Amazon wish list that you put there in first grade? That would only apply to people under the age of 23, by the way. Why do we do things like this? We do things like this, and again, not necessarily in a bad way, but we do it because we're not satisfied. We're, we're the, the glass is half empty people, you know? We, we just can't get there. We can create some temporary satisfaction. We can satisfy ourselves for a little bit for a couple of hours during a movie or, you know, a few hours playing golf or a few hours shopping. We, we know how to provide some temporary satisfaction. But the things that we mention are not all bad and harmless. Some of them are good. They're fun. But when we begin to need them in such a way that we have to revisit them and we demand more of them, what we're saying is that we are not satisfied and we are not going to be satisfied with just one. We have to have more. Philip Holmes describes this as the never-ending thirst. This is what he writes. As children, we thought it might be that bag of potato chips we begged our parents for at the store, or that new bike or video game or doll we wanted for Christmas. We thought they would make us happy, but they didn't. And then he moves on. As teenagers, we sought satisfaction in good grades, athletic accomplishments, a car, or in a significant other. But all of it left us discontent. As adults, we think that a bigger house or more or less children or a better job will quench our thirst, but we're still left wanting more. And then he says this, at the root of our dissatisfaction is a never-ending thirst that nothing in this world can satisfy. You see, self-determination is a bad treasure because it's defined by you. And because it's defined by you, the very basic nature is that it will fail. See, if you freely choose to put your treasure in you, or in your stuff, or in your accomplishments, or, or even in other people, those things are going to fail. Well, how do we know that? Well, Jesus just answered that question with what he said to his friends right before this. Listen one, back, one sentence back in verse 33. Jesus says, Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts, which do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven, where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. 
You see, a moth can destroy your fancy leopard print boots. And a thief can steal your Mustang or your monster truck. And so freely choosing to put your treasure in your stuff is a bad move. Now, someone might say, hey, look, I worked hard all my life and, you know, I'm going to enjoy these things while I'm here and then, and then I'm going to leave them to my kids. I heard a lawyer recently say something along these lines. The first generation does pretty good with what their parents leave them. And then he said, by the second generation, things get a little bit messy. And by the third generation, everybody just lawyers up and they fight and they fight until they get what they want. And then after they get what they want, they have to take what they got and use it all on lawyer fees. Randy Alcorn says in his book, The Treasure Principle, every item we buy is one more thing to think about, talk about, clean, repair, rearrange, fret over, and replace when it goes bad. (laughs) There's a lot of truth in that. And you say, oh, I don't have that experience. But you know what? You may be passing that experience down. Look, we need to buy stuff, okay? And we need to use stuff. But the gospel does call us to be wise in how we buy and how we use and how we accumulate. And so Jesus is turning to his closest friends and he's saying to them, look, don't treasure stuff because stuff will not satisfy you. And it's not just stuff. The psalmist said in Psalm 118 verse 8, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. Why? Why is it better to take refuge refuge in the Lord. Why is it better to trust God than to trust people? Well, here's why. Because your parents and your spouse and your kids and your friends and your pastor and your doctor and your mechanic and your favorite athlete and your elected officials, they're not perfect. You know who else is not perfect? Leaders of the alt-right and leaders of the liberal left. A peaceful Muslim and a radical Muslim. A sweet Southern Baptist and a mean Southern Baptist. You and me and total strangers, none of us are perfect. See, every single person has the ability to be sweet or stupid, loving or lazy, insightful or insensitive, caring or criminal. By our very nature, we can make huge mistakes and we can be not dependable. The message that rings clearly through the pages of the Bible and really through the pages of secular history is this. Do not put your ultimate trust in people or stuff. Do not make people or stuff your primary treasure. So how do you know if you're doing that? How do you know if you're putting too much trust in people or in things. Paul was writing to his friends at the Colossian church. This is what he said. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. So just generally speaking, let's just, let's just do the last 72 hours, right? Kind of cover the weekend. Last few days, what has your mind been set on? Has it been set on the things of God primarily, or has it been set on the things of the world? Now, some people say, ah, you're a preacher. Your mind has to be set on things of God. It's your job. No, it's really not my job. My job as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, is to keep my mind set on the things of God. So, so generally speaking, how have you done just in the last few days with setting your mind on things above? 
If you don't know what this looks like, Randy Alcorn has another helpful way for us to think about this. He writes, suppose you buy shares of General Motors. What happens? You suddenly develop an interest in GM. You check the financial pages, you see a magazine article about GM, and you read every word, even though a month ago you would have passed right over it. And then he moves that a little forward. Suppose you're giving to help African children with AIDS. When you see an article on the subject, you're hooked. If you're sending money to plant churches in India and an earthquake hits India, you watch the news and you fervently pray. And then he pulls the math together for us. As surely as the compass needle follows north, your heart will follow your treasure. Money leads, hearts follow. Money leads, hearts follow. So, so what are your spending habits? Not just money. How are you spending your money? How are you spending your time? How are you spending your energy, your focus? How are you spending your attitude? Attitude is huge. Someone might say, well, what's the big deal? I mean, why, why does it matter, you know? Why does it matter how I spend my time or my money or my, my focus or, or my attitude? What's the big deal? Well, the big deal kind of goes along these lines. This is what Jesus said. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So again, what you treasure the most is going to involve the place that you want to be and where you want to end up being. So the reason this is a big deal is this. If you are spending your money and your time and your focus and your energy and your attitude on people, you are always going to be thirsty. Your thirst is never going to end. Why? Because treasuring people will end when you end or when they end. And if you're spending your, your money and your time and your energy and your focus on your attitude on, on stuff, then it's going to fail. Why? Well, because your thirst is never going to end. Because that stuff that you're treasuring will no longer be your treasure when you end or when it ends or when it fades or falls apart or gets eaten by moths or gets stolen. So any good news? <laughs> I mean, is there anything worth treasuring? Is there anything that won't end, anything that won't fall apart, that won't fade, that won't get eaten by moths, that won't get stolen? Yes, there is something fantastic. Apostle Paul breaks it down this way, Philippians chapter 3. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. That's an interesting way to start off a conversation, right? Paul says, look, when it comes to the best of the best, I am the best. My credentials are way more than impressive. And then he goes on to describe his credentials, verses 5 and 6. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, man, I am blameless. What a guy, right? Paul saying, you know what? I was born in the right family, and I was born on the right side of the tracks. Paul's family never missed any of the religious traditions. They followed all of them. They never missed any of the spiritual holidays. They celebrated all of them. They celebrated all the things that their country honored. They were good folks, good family. He never missed church growing up. In fact, when, when he was still young, people looked at him and said, that guy right there, he's going to be the best and the brightest one day. And you know what? He was. Paul turned out to be smart, important. He turned out to be powerful and respected. In fact, you can just take a casual look at Paul's life and you can see he was elite. 
He was successful and he had it all. And then Paul says this after he gives his credentials. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Every family honor, every educational degree, every religious certificate, every leadership trophy, every financial reward, everything he owned, and every accomplishment. Paul took all of them and he put them on the page in the accounting book that had the heading that said loss. And then he wrote the word dung out next to it and circled it and put an exclamation point. Why? Why would Paul use such strong language? Here's why. Because Jesus loved him. And Jesus found him. And Jesus saved him. See, for Paul, everything changed. Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, he became Paul's greatest and most satisfying treasure. Why? Because Jesus loved him before the foundations of the world. His parents couldn't do that. His successful friends couldn't do that. His religious fan club, they couldn't do that. Only Jesus could love Paul before he existed. But Jesus didn't just love Paul before he existed. Jesus died for Paul. Jesus died so that he could pay the just and right payment that was owed for Paul's sin. And Jesus didn't just die. Three days later, Jesus came back from the dead. He rose from the grave so that he could prove and affirm all of his divine credentials. And his resurrection means that the Apostle Paul and the Pastor Dow and anybody else who is believing in and trusting in and relying on and clinging to Jesus has this guaranteed promise. You will never die. Never. Eternal love, eternal salvation, eternal life. This is the character and the nature of who Jesus actually is. There is no earthly possession. There is no earthly accomplishment. There is no person on this earth that can even remotely make or guarantee a promise like that. Only Jesus. You see, Paul, for him, Jesus was his treasure. And so with Jesus was where Paul most wanted to be. And with Jesus was where Paul wanted to end up. And that's exactly where he ended up. His treasure did not disappoint him. His treasure came true. So again, what is the ultimate goal of your life? If it is not Jesus, you will be disappointed. You might be disappointed by the end of the day. You might be disappointed at the hospital next week. You might be disappointed at your job in three months. You might be disappointed if the stock stock market crashes. But if you're not disappointed in this life, according to everything that Jesus says, the whole way that he talks, you will definitely be disappointed when you wake up on the other side of death. If Jesus is not your treasure, you will be disappointed. In fact, Jesus says it won't just be disappointment, that you'll actually perish. That's how Jesus talks. J.C. Ross says this, It matters little what we say or what we profess 
or what preaching we admire or what place of worship we attend. What do we love? On what are our affections set? This is the great question. What do you love? Incidentally, that was written 150-something years ago. So, so what do you love? How do you, how do you know that your love should be for Jesus? I mean, really, you may be here going, eh, you know, the Jesus stuff, it's cute, it's nice, I, I like religion okay, but, but how do I know that Jesus is the satisfying treasure that my heart's really longing for? Well, the way you know is by the way Jesus loves. By the way he loves. See, hours before Jesus was brutally executed for the penalty of my sin and your sin, this is how Jesus was praying. John 17, 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am. If you're a Christian, I, I want you to grab every ounce of this truth. Jesus Christ treasures you. He died to save you so that you could be with him one day. And if you're clinging to him as your ultimate treasure, you will end up with him. That's amazing. That is astounding. And we are so bombarded in the world today with so many things. I think we've lost the glow of that. Jesus treasures you. He died to save you so that one day you could be with him. And if you're clinging to him, then you'll end up with him. John Bloom says this, Jesus' greatest longing is that you will be with him. And when you are finally with him, he will wipe away every tear from your eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things will have passed away. And then he says this, Never again will you know any kind of separation from him for you will always be with the Lord. Never again will you ever know any kind of separation from him because you will always be with the Lord. Always with Jesus. I can't make you believe this, but I pray the Spirit will grab your heart and tell you that it's true. Always with Jesus. There is no greater treasure. None. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you just for who you are. Our favorite team may lose the game. And the test results may come back bad. And our boss may stress us out more. And our friends at church might be jerks to us. And our neighbors may cause problems. And our politicians may make huge bad decisions. But Jesus, you don't change. Ever. And so we cling to you because you are the greatest treasure. But as soon as we leave, the enemy will tempt us to forget that. 
And so God, I pray your spirit will protect our hearts and our minds, that you would help us deep, deep down to know and remember and keep singing to ourselves. This is the story. Jesus is mine. In his name we pray, amen.